0: Welcome to Off Code, the show where we ignore the cultural codes and have real and intriguing conversations regarding the Black community and ways we can move forward to human flourishing.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Off Code. I am Monique Dusan.
0: And I am Kevin Briggins. And we have another great show for you today. This guest we have on day, this brother, I'm calling him officially in the Off Code family. Yes, yes. Because his Twitter is on fire. That's all I'm going to say. Yes, yes. This brother speaks the word unapologetically. And I'm really excited to have him on to discuss a very important topic today.
1: Yes. Um, Okay. so I first got familiar with um, John Mason through Twitter. And I'd be like, man, he's saying some stuff like he didn't he didn't censor that. I don't know if, you know, people know he really saying this. And then uh, um, my partner, my ministry partner, Krista at CFBU, she actually was at a homeschooling convention with him. And I was like, and they homeschool? Like, he just all the way off the rails. Okay. <laughs> okay, I see. But he's also a youth minister and um, just is is just in the space, ready to have the conversation. And so super thankful to have John with us today. Let's go ahead and bring John on. Hello, sir.
2: Hello. Hi, How morning. you doing? I'm doing great, doing great. Glad to be on Off Code with you guys.
1: Man, we are grateful to have you. Kevin was like, "You are an official Off Code member. You have been Off Code since before Off Code was a thing." All
2: right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, so thank you for keeping it real. Why don't you tell yeah. us about yourself? Tell who are you? Introduce yourself to to those who may not be familiar with John Mason
2: absolutely yeah so my name is john mason um i am a husband to shanae mason for 10 years just made 10 years and um i'm a father to five kids uh so i have naya starting at uh, nine years old going all the way down to one years old so i'll go through their names so you guys can hear all their names so we can get them all in so we got naya then we got josiah then we got um Uzziah, then Uriah, and the last one is zakiya our baby zakiya so that's our five kids um, and then uh, I've been here in North Dallas for about a year and a half. I am a Houstonian, uh, natively Houstonian, grew up in Houston, uh, moved from Houston to North Dallas to go ahead and, and do uh, ministry. I heard the call a few years ago and um, went ahead and made the move, uh, left my profession, which is information security, uh, an information, information security professional over at the Houston Methodist for a very long time. Uh, left there to come and do ministry here in North Dallas. And I will say um, I'm still not, still trying to fill in out, Dallas. I'm not really, you know, <laughs> yeah. but God called me here, so I'm here to do the do the work. Um, and so um, that's where I'm at now. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, let's see, I love uh, music. I mu- love music. I'm also an IT IT uh, techie, so as I just told you, I came from IT. So that's a little bit about me. It's who, it's who I am.
1: All right. Now, I was trying to Go back to the names Naya, Ariah. Hold, you know, you know, hold
2: on, So, Naya, uh huh, Josiah, uh huh. Then you got Uzziah, okay, yeah, then Ariah, okay, and lastly, it's like
1: Okay,
0: all all all, yeah, all them kids' names mean something with
2: the Lord. That's true. There yes. we, go.
1: We, go. we go, as you can see, yes. <laughs> Boy, we will do something with some names, won't we?
2: <laughs> I want to use God in that name. Absolutely. Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, so. Yes. But I like, I like like how it rhymes. I like how it all just kind of flows together. But yes. you have intentionality behind yours. Yes, yes. My mom had, we have there's three girls, me and my two sisters, and you have Chantal, which is my first name. So Chantal, Shyra, and Shanice. We all oh, had the shut sound. Yeah. I have Ryland, Radley, and Raiden, who are my nephews. Uh-huh. But we don't have the intentionality. I like <laughs> that, but don't don't act like we can't do something with some names.
2: With, we we, we will
1: put two Absolutely. names together from out of nowhere. Yep, <laughs> that's all right. So. <laughs> We are talking today about discipleship and what can discipleship look like? What are the, the possibilities of discipleship among today's black youth? And this is going to be something that we talk about um, with John. But then on our next episode, we're going to look more into the community. Um, Like, how do we do discipleship within, you know, the Black community, especially among adults? Today, we're looking at Black youth. And, John, um, I'm not sure, like, how much you follow or how much you know. But a couple weeks ago, or actually probably more like a month and a half ago now, Kevin and I spoke together at a camp. And the worldview of the students there was um, very postmodern, I'll say that. And um, there, even though they ascribed to Christianity and would definitely, you know, fight you to the death to say, no, I am a Christian. I do believe in Jesus. The worldview itself was very postmodern, very secular humanist, um, you know, Things like my body, my choice, just a a huge argument to kind of do life on my terms rather than live life according to the tenets of scripture. And so, what we want to do today is really dig into discipleship among, you know, Black youth. And what does that look like? What are the hopes for that? Now, you you said like you you're into ministry and you're into youth ministry and, you know, looking at serving youth in the church. What got you into that?
2: So I like, just what got you into that call? Yeah. So I heard the call to come to this particular ministry here in North Dallas. Right. And so I'm here at North Dallas me about fellowship. Um, so the first place that was needed, I just wanted to serve anywhere that was needed. And so the first place that was needed was youth ministry. So that's what that's what got me into youth ministry here in North Dallas. Um, so we we started that off. COVID had just started to slow down a little bit, and so we kicked back youth ministry, pretty much was was gone, and we kicked it back up. And so that got me involved in the youth ministry and basically building it back up from scratch. The people have been left from church for a whole year, year and a half. And so we're just building the youth ministry back up from scratch and we're still doing that right now. So that's kind of how I got into youth ministry.
1: Wow, that's That's awesome, especially to get into youth ministry during COVID. You know, when when nobody trying to do anything, at least I'm in L.A. So there wasn't a lot of um, ministry at all going on during the the COVID season. But what an awesome opportunity to be able to kick that off um, in a season where young people especially need to, you know, be disciple and and to understand what's happening how do you how do you make sense of you know a lockdown and a pandemic and you know that that's a awesome opportunity to be able to one disciple but to help kids think through their worldview and their thoughts on god yep. um let me ask you this how would you define discipleship
2: yeah so discipleship will you know, always fall back into what Christ said, you know, go, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We start there. Um, but specifically for youth, we got to go back to Deuteronomy 6, 4, to the Shema. Um, we got to go back to where the Lord actually in principle, so that's the Israelites, right? So we're not technically Israelites, but we're in a new covenant, but we see the principle that God laid down there in Deuteronomy 6, 4, that we parents, parents are the ones who should be when they sit down, when they lie down, when they out and about, be constantly instilling in, in your children what God has said, what God has done, who God is, what God has created, so on and so forth. So that is primarily the responsibility of a parent to disciple or to basically instill and train in your children uh, up the way they should go, train them up in the way they should go, they, so they will not depart from it, instilling in them the truths. And the ideas and the concepts of who God is, who Christ is, what sin is, what salvation is, all of those things have to, to come from, from my perspective, from a biblical perspective, I believe it comes from the parents. And so the parents are doing this discipleship process at home, at home. Um, and I'm going to say something that's going to sound really crazy coming from a youth minister. But from, from a youth minister, youth ministry does not work. Youth ministry is not effective. And you say, why would you say that? Why are you a youth minister right now, right? And this is coming from my senior pastor. He says, youth ministry is not effective. Well, it ties back into what I just said. We get to see them one hour a week, right, at at Bible study. I mean, at at Sunday service, maybe. So really, parents bring their children to church maybe two Sundays out of a, a month, maybe. So that's two hours. Maybe get Wednesday night Bible study. Possibly. That's 45 minutes. So two hours, 45 minutes, roughly about three hours. That's what you get at youth ministry per month, average 12 months in a year. That's not a lot of time of quote unquote discipleship. Well, we you know, discipleship looks like what I just said in 6. When you lie down, when you get up, when you are out and about and, he, and God is talking to parents there. Why? Because parents are the one that are right there with the youth, right there with their children day in, day out, hour in, hour out. Right. And so you see that that is how discipleship actually happens. Right. You go to the New Testament, you see the disciples actually walking with Jesus for entire three years. Right. Three, three and a half years, day in, day out. They left their jobs. They're with Christ. Right. And so that's a discipleship process is an intimate, close process. It's not a, um, hey, let me just show you some things real quick for a couple of hours. And then we're going to go back and I'll see you in about a week or two. Um, and so I'm probably going to jump ahead in the question. So I'm going to leave what I'm about to say. leave that. But discipleship, I'm just defining discipleship right now. Discipleship is basically walking with someone in Christ. I would say specifically in this context of what we're talking about, parents and you walking with them and instilling in them biblical truths, the foundations of God, uh, who Christ is the purpose and the need for salvation and why that's important that is discipleship. And it's a lifestyle. It's not just something we do just to kind of teach somebody but a lifestyle. Man. Go ahead. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. Mm-hmm. That's
0: really good definition. I really like the way you laid that out from a biblical perspective of the family and the role that the family plays in discipling children. Um, with that said, I, I agree with that you know we're talking about you know specifically within the black community how do you think the um what's the way to say it the kind of the breakdown of the black family has affected that aspect of raising and discipling children
2: mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's huge um the father the fatherlessness um the family breakdown the family disconnect in the black community is one of the biggest effects of why discipleship from a Christian perspective is not happening. Now I'm going to say this, discipleship is happening in the black community and it's happening strong. It's just not happening from a Christian perspective. It's not happening from a biblical perspective. So how are we getting discipled? By BET, by entertainment, by the radio, by the streets, by the schools. So discipleship is going strong. Like it is. It's big time happening. It's just not happening from Christ's perspective. Discipleship is one of those things that are neutral. It's it's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You're gonna get discipled as a child. We're talking about children, youth, like you know, you're gonna get discipled at that age because you're designed to pick up and and gain certain things at those ages, those really small seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, you're you're designed to soak in what's being told you, believe it, and then that becomes your worldview as you get older and your brain starts to develop more. But that's by God's design. So if there's no parent there to instill these things, if there's nobody that's actually, you know, trying to instill Christ and instill the gospel and instill
1: biblical foundations, then it's happening somewhere else. Oh, that's deep. That that's good stuff for real, because I don't think people think about that enough. Like discipleship is not just this Christian thing that Christians do discipleship happens and it happens all the time. And you're, you know, young people are going to be discipled. You're either going to be discipled into Christianity. You can be discipled into, you know, a different religion. You can be discipled into the culture, but discipleship is happening. And if we aren't, um, you know, intentional about discipleship, about Christian discipleship and forming a Christian worldview among young people, someone is going to come along and tell them what the right worldview is for them to uphold. That may not be Christianity and that can lead to all forms of other problems. I have a question for both of you guys, um, basically because you're you're both fathers. Um, One of the things that you hit on, John, was the, the destruction of the the black family and looking at how um you know the the way that the black family has you know in i'll just say it in many instances fallen apart how we um don't have a lot of black fathers in the home anymore and things like that how we have a ton of you know um out of wedlock births talk a little bit and i would love to hear from both of you talk a little bit about the father's role in discipleship in the home and where um where discipleship goes astray or what what gosh how can i best say this um what is the disadvantage to youth if you see it as a disadvantage when there is no father to kind of shed some of these 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 biblical truths, or to share—I'm sorry—to share some of these biblical truths, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: yeah I would say the the father the, that like the Deuteronomy 6.4, like I just said, that was given to fathers. So God, by by uh, design, has called the fathers to example, not only speak, teach, and instill and and show. Uh, through words, but also live out in front of your children um, what living for God looks like. So in in God's design, and that's how you know there's some some sticks out right now. I think we can get into that a little bit later. Children are looking for parents to live out their Christianity, to live out what they actually say they believe. You say you're a Christian, and I see you cursing people out. I see you really at home, just kind of wilding out, just doing whatever. Then we go to church, you're real holy. They see that. And they they know they see okay well this Christian thing is just kind of like something we do it's cool you marriage is cool you know doing this is cool going to here is cool going to this program is cool but it ain't really a part of my life I'm I'm who I think I am or what I think is more important because I see it really ain't working for you mom dad so um, I don't really want to be I'm gonna do my own thing and that's kind of what's happening right now amongst uh, in households that are that go to church on a regular basis, specifically the black culture, too. We go go to church religiously, religiously, Sunday, 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 Sunday. But at home, there's no God. There's no Christ. There's no Bob, There's no nothing. It's just kind of this religious thing. So, so kids see that. And so that absence of a father to walk out life. And we're not just talking about fathers actually being there, right? We're not talking about just that, like, because I, I know some people, you know, some families, the father was there, was providing, but wasn't there. Yeah, right. So yep. wasn't instilling, wasn't teaching, wasn't showing, wasn't guiding, wasn't leading. That absence of that, that's by God's design supposed to happen on a regular basis. When it's gone, then what's going to happen? A child looks somewhere else. Can't get it all from mom. Mom doing the best she can. Mom doing what she can to make things happen, doing what she got to do and, and taking on a lot. But she can't, he can't get, she can't get it off from mom. She got to go, she got to go somewhere else and, and find that bond somewhere and then copy somebody else that, that's not a father. And so, it's just really one of those things that uh, the more we try to address it, the more we try to build upon discipleship. I mean, when we try to just discipleship. We also have to look at this issue and see that it is something that we got to take care of.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll add to just the presence of a father. I mean, I know I have a tremendous effect on my kids, just my presence, my, my voice, my me being a leader right, just leading my family, my kids look to that. And so I know I play a really big role as an example in their life. And so when you remove that and you got the the single mother struggle that's going on, it's hard for her to have the emotional energy, the physical energy to then disciple the kids once she gets home from working on a long day at work, she's gotta get dinner on the table. She might be trying to make sure they got their schoolwork done. You know, and then that's it. And so the discipleship a lot of times comes from where they spend most of their time, which is at school around their peers. Then you got after school activities. And, you know, then you, you know, you, you watching TV, you know, mom's tired. And it's just this she's doing the best she can. But that's not that teamwork and that parental kind of presence that is there to really Raise the kids and guide them, and show them what it really looks like to live out um, the Christian walk. Right? It's, she's just trying to get them to church on Sunday, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's it's that struggle that that takes place when the father isn't in the home, and I really mean in the home. You know, they've tried to say, well, you know, black fathers are involved, even though they're not in the home, and they just you no, know, it's, mm-hmm. it's you can't you can't manufacture it, you can't replace it. I don't care what kind of organizations talking about, you know, we need to destroy the nuclear family and all of that craziness. You can't replace it with the community. It doesn't work that way. You know, community is important, but it can't replace the parents. It can't replace the home. It can't replace the family unit that God has created to nurture and raise children in.
1: So. Yeah. that That's so good. One of the things that, um, You know, if I thread out what you guys are saying and maybe I'm the only one who hears this, but is is this idea of identity and who you are. Um, as a Christian, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is what does it mean to be a Christ follower? Um, what, living in South Africa, one of the things that I learned about the the family structure there is that the mothers are really invested in the child from like birth to five or seven years old, somewhere in there, and really nurturing and giving all of that um, maternal love and support. But after about age seven, what you see it, not that the father isn't present, not that the father isn't loving. And, and there and doing all of the fatherly things but there's a like a push like a strong like punch with fathers and they step up in a way that is so different than what i've seen traditionally here in the states because they take on a role of now um a, a role that um, talks about the identity of a child and brings them along in their identity. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? And you might think, well, man, that's odd that a, a man is trying to tell a, a you know a little girl, his daughter, what does it mean to be a woman? But some of that conversation looks like you know, as a woman, you are going to look for a man who respects you, who loves you, who doesn't put his hands on you, who um, is going to lead you, who is going to um, you know. Provide for you. And so, what they see is this deep, you know, um, impression of the mother at a very early age, but then they walk this road with their father. And it's like, I'd say five, six, seven years old until the day that they get married, because um, children usually live in the home until they get married. But that's kind of what what I hear and what strikes in me as I'm listening to you guys is that the man is so important because the man is the one speaking and teaching and not to say you know because John I heard you it's not to say that women don't speak and teach their children and don't raise them up in the faith but there is also a very unique role that a man has and a different voice as I heard you say Kevin like I have been with you around your girls and it's like your wife is, is amazing I love her and she'll tell the girl something but as soon as kevin say something he don't even you ain't even got to open your mouth you can just get a look like you can just 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 walk on in the room Mm -hmm. and they you know what i mean there ain't no let me go get daddy nothing like mm -mm, because here it is they already know but they know because they know who you are and you've walked a road with them and this is kind of how I see this conversation of discipleship in the home. It's like understanding, you know, who your father is. And it t- sometimes it takes fathers to be able to really implant within the heart, you know, who God the father is and what does it mean to be a child of God and to walk out that road as a Christian. So thank you for that. And uh, one of the things that I think, um, you know, we don't want to just like pass over is the unique, um, adversities I would say that we've kind of already hit on within the black community that prevent a lot of this from happening. Things like, um, you know, no fathers in the home or drug addiction, or John, I love how you hit on the fact that, um, you know, one of the barriers, I think, to, to true discipleship is the fact that, you know, you all holy on Sunday, you know, but then on Monday you didn't cuss out, you know, so-and-so and you t- stealing stuff from your job and you didn't, you know, told me that I should do X, Y, and Z or you're just absent altogether. Yeah, we might go to church on Sunday, but on Monday, we turned I, I don't up. even, yeah, that part. Yeah. You know, on Monday, we listening to Beyonce, church girl. Mm -hmm. And you know what I'm saying? So, gosh, I I don't think that these things are absent from white communities or from other, you know, ethnic communities. But I'm showing about that when we look (laughs) at when we look at, you know, how this impacts the black community. One of the things I would love to just hear your your take on it is that. I think there's a expectation that many young people live by the tenets of scripture or live in a way that isn't ratchet and, you know, you just out here being a thought and all, all these other things. And okay. I am not just saying these words. If you didn't learn what these words meant, go back and watch the previous episode. Okay. Okay? Um, But you know, people just out here being ratchet. We don't, there's an expectation that kids wouldn't just be ratchet, but we don't teach them any other way to live. I don't know. Like, am I missing it? What do y'all think? Like where do, where do we see the other teaching, the righteous? It's like righteous and ratchet. We want them to live righteously, but all we teach them and all we are offering them many times is that ratchet road. Right.
2: It's, it's, it's showing them who Christ is. If you reveal to children the holiness of Christ, the holiness of God, his character, and he created us, we're made in his image. It's kind of like pushing in front of them, not us, because we're going to fail sometimes, though we should be living out our lives for Christ. We're going to fall. We're going to do something crazy. We're going to do something that's off the wall, too. But if we show them the standard of God in Christ, they see there's a standard of holiness to pursue as a Christian. And so they see this contrast in what's going on in the world, what's happening as a Christian and what God's standard is. And it's a contract. It's a huge contrast. Then we have to show them that if you choose to live out this life of Christ, it's going to come at a price. It comes at a cost. So if, if we don't tell them that there's a cost in their mind, they're going to see, oh, I can listen to Beyonce on Monday. Go to church and sing in the choir on Sunday. There's no there's no problem because I'm under grace. I'm with God. I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm with God. And so there's no there's no discernment happening, there's no separation, there's no understanding of holiness. But if they see that Christ Himself represents what holiness is, I'm following Him. He's the standard, not, not me, not mom, not Dad, not me, But Christ Himself. And so because He's the standard, and I have that in front of me as I walk my life out until I stand before that throne then that is what I'm going to use to live out my life for Christ. Young people have to see that. If, if they're not seeing that, if they don't know that, and if they're not getting instilled that in them, then the standards that they are seeing for Christian life, they all fall short. It ain't pastor. Pastor going to fail. Pastor going to lie. Pastor going to do something wrong. It ain't me. It ain't. It, it, it has to be Christ. And so that's that. if that standard's not there, then they're not going to see a difference in how they should live. Because they'll see that the world is failing in ways of showing love, showing grace, right? Because those are the basic Christian principles, right? They're going to see the world failing that. But if they don't see Christ as the standard for those things, and they can say, okay, that's how it looks. Okay, let me, let me do it this way if I'm going to follow the Lord. And if not, then maybe I haven't truly given my life to the Lord. Maybe he's not my Lord and Savior. Now you can do a self-examination. And so I think that's what is kind of missing there.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that um, big time. And it, it reminds me of, you know, the Apostle Paul was like, follow me as I follow Christ, right? And, and it is that example of discipleship, showing them what it looks like, living Christ-like, um, following Christ and then them following you. And I think that chain is broken because a lot of times the parents aren't being that example um, to follow Christ or the the pastor or the church. I believe a lot of the church, the black church has an identity crisis in terms of being something different than what the world is. Right. Um, And we see this with the sampling of the gospel music and you have all the other several gospel artists have come out and said, Oh, there's nothing wrong with that. That's great. You know, this person sampled my song one time. It's just not this. There's, there's like this so strong of a call to be black that we lose what it means to be christian right and mm-hmm. so the key is from a cultural standpoint to be black is more important to be than to be christian because that's what they've seen right that's kind of the example of the walk they've seen is is be in my blackness is way more important than being in my christ likeness and uh and I just think the church and, you know, the home, the parents, there's not, there hasn't been a good consistent example of what it means to follow Christ as opposed to following the culture. The culture is just ingrained in everything around them, including the church. And so I think, um, yeah, seeing those examples of what it means to follow Christ is kind of what, what's, what's lacking in, in, the, in, the, in their lives, in their communities.
1: That's that's true. Like I, I, I definitely say a hearty yes. Like I do agree with that. Um, gosh, I don't. I don't want to be just the one asking questions and stuff. But I have a lot of questions. Um, what would y'all say? Is because I think. Well, let me let me preface it by this: is we've highlighted, you know, the issues I think that can stand in the way of discipleship, especially among, you know black youth especially like a hood black youth and things like that but that doesn't mean that that's everybody's story who is you know living in the hood and things like that for some it just can be you know for some parents it can be a thing of I just don't know how to instill a biblical worldview I don't actually know what a biblical worldview is myself you know how let's talk to the parent who might be watching and saying you know I don't I agree. You know, I want my child to live a biblical life, but I don't necessarily know how to do that or what that is. What would you say, um, John? Is the is a the biblical worldview, and how do we instill that? And Kevin, I would love to hear from you as you know, as being a father too. Like, how do you instill that into your girls? What are just some practical steps?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, that's that's what I did over at the Texas Homeschool Coalition Convention. I literally, my title of my, 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 uh, message was the time to prioritize a biblical worldview is now. And I was speaking to a bunch of, a bunch of parents. And so what I did was I defined what a biblical worldview is. Well, first of all, what a worldview is, because everyone has a worldview. There's nobody on the earth does not have a worldview. A worldview is simply how do you define and answer the big questions in life? You know, uh, who created us? Where do we go when we die? Um, all the big questions that help define humanity in our reasoning, our purpose for existing. When you answer those questions, if you say we evolved from apes, that is your worldview, right? If you say we created an image of God, God created male and female, that's your worldview. A worldview is simply how you view everything happening around you and what lens you use to basically define those things. That's what a worldview is. And so that's critical. Like if your worldview is secular, or post-modernism or progressivism, if your worldview is that, and then you say I'm a Christian, right? So secularism is just basically, basically everything is defined by what's happening in culture. Whatever culture defines it as, that's what I define it as. So if culture defines boyfriend and girlfriend as the, the way you should get ready to get married, then that's just that's what we do. That's how we do things is boyfriend and girlfriend until we get married. Well there's a way that the Bible kind of defines marriage. And so if you use that as a lens on how you show your children what marriage is, and then that kind of gives them a definition for what a boyfriend and girlfriend should look like, because there is no boyfriend or girlfriend according to Scripture. But in culturally, we have that. But if you give them the biblical perspective, which is the prioritization of marriage and the covenant of marriage, mainly because that's what, that's what Christ provided for us, then what that does is let, allow your child to see the value and the importance of valuing themselves in such a way where marriage is the number one priority. Start from a young age, from a young age. You don't start at 13, 14. You start at four, five, telling them and understanding that this is what God has created, man and woman, the covenant of marriage. And so um, th- that's how you instill in your kids a biblical worldview. Um, there are certain, certain things that you can be uh, doing if they're going to public school. There are certain things that you can be doing to show them, just like Deuteronomy Six says, when, you, when they get out of school, you're engaging with them. You're asking them questions and help us, asking them to understand what they've dealt with in school because they know you care about them. Not because you're trying to, you know, overlord them or something like that, but because you care about them and you want to understand their perspective and their worldview and what's going on with them. And after you get that from them, now you can provide answers that are biblical, right? So so the biblical worldview is just basically a, a, a all-encompassing way of putting everything that we do, as Christians from a kingdom principle, from a kingdom perspective, from a biblical principle at the forefront. Just like I'm wearing these glasses right now, I, if I took them off right now, it'd be blurry. I would be able to see about five feet in front of me after that, I, it, it, it's around. Uh, with a on, I can see clearer what's in front of me. So my lenses help me see what reality is. That's a worldview. That's
1: it. Boom. Wow. wow.
0: Yes, there's nothing to add to that. Basically hit it. I mean, it is being intentional. It is communicating and it is teaching. Right. And if you do those things, you will instill a biblical worldview. Um, So this is my question for John, because some parents would say, well, I don't know how to do that. Right. No, in your, in your line of work uh, or in your circle, in your sphere, how are you guys training parents to do that?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We are currently, as I told you, the youth ministry is getting started back up. Yeah. And as I said, from our particular perspective, from our leadership at this point, youth ministry as it traditionally is done and doesn't work. Basically, yeah. basically because of what you just said, the yeah. parents need to be able to know how to disciple their children at home outside of Sunday and Wednesdays. And so, what We're trying to do is we're trying, at no doubt, speaking about fellowship. What we're trying to do is start a way to disciple our parents and mm-hmm. seeing the value of having a biblical worldview for themselves. Number one, then from there, then now you can use that same information, that same value, that same uh drive and passion that you just got for yourself, and now walk through that with your kids daily. Now, you weren't doing it before. So that means there has to be a paradigm shift in how you see your relationship with your child, right? You have to shift how you were doing things and seeing your relationship. If you thought your relationship was good, then you take them to school every day, pick them up, they go to football practice, and, okay, everything is good. Y'all never talk about anything, but you think your relationship is good, so you think everything's fine. And it's not because your kid is really building up their view of everything from outside of your house, So you have to now reel that in, right? You have to see the value of reeling that in and start instilling your uh, time and your intentionality in things in where they weren't before. And so, yes, the the parents have to see the value of a biblical worldview for themselves first. So that has, so our church is trying to basically, like I was saying, our church is trying to start building youth ministry around that. We're slowly, because that's a big thing. Our church has been around for a long time. I'm sure many black churches, churches have been around for a long time. And so what you have to do, we're slowly doing small things that are prioritizing the parents understanding the value of what they're supposed to be doing at home slowly. And as we do that, um, they'll start to see more, okay, I need to be, I'm not doing this. And so I need to start talking to my child more about Christ in every opportunity I get. Um, And so that's kind of what needs to happen. It really is small. It's small. You can't just throw this at parents. They haven't been doing it. And they go, like you said, they'll be like, okay, what am I supposed to do? I don't even know how to, you know, define this stuff about myself. It's a small, slow process of just showing them the value and in the, in the importance. And then as you do that, you meet with them more, get with them more. They see more tools, resources. We actually started something called Disciple Life at my church. We had our second conference, our second annual conference just here past August. And so um, that is what we're, that's how, that's our start, that's our slow start is doing that. And we're just answering questions like what you just asked and just kind of just going into the nitty gritty of what discipleship looks like and all the dangers out there that you need to be aware of. And so it's just, like, I think if more churches did that in their communities, we would see more parents start to value a biblical worldview and then start discipling people.
1: Man, that's, that's so good. And it's so real because Again, like I think that the the conversation definitely extends beyond the parameters of ethnicity. And so, you know, all parents need to hear this information. But what I'm what I'm taking away from it is that it's a leadership design as well. You know, leaders have to step into the role of discipling their people. And if you're not discipling your people, well, we can't expect the the youth to be discipled because the parents don't know how to disciple because they haven't been discipled. And so it's kind of like this this trickle down effect of you know it, it takes the leaders to disciple the people and the 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 people to disciple their kids so that when those kids grow up, they can you know disciple others. I hope I'm hearing you right. Yes, absolutely. Okay, that's it. all right. Just making sure because I i mean, goodness, when I look around like L.A. and growing up in L.A., there wasn't a ton of like discipleship opportunities. There weren't a ton of, you know, churches in the neighborhood who were, you know, going around and picking students up or, you know, trying to to. Mix in the life of of the young people, and we have, I felt like we had some pretty prominent churches. We had um, what, what's his name? Fred. Remember Price, Frederick Price, Fred yes. Price. Yeah, yeah don't, yeah. don't start. Don't start. Mm-hmm. Don't start.
0: <laughs> yeah. Be, be glad that church band didn't come pick you up. That's all I'm
1: saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I mean, we also had what's the Kojic pastor's name? Um, Blake Bishop Blake. You know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that they, they was, you know, the best of the best, but I'm just saying that there wasn't that, that thought of discipleship to me, you know, when I look back on, on my experience being down there, there wasn't a ton of, you know, Ooh, I can't wait to go and learn about God, you know? And I think even, even more so now it's like, Then then the biggest competition was like TLC and, um, you know, Brandy and like those kind of people. But today you have Beyonce and, you know, just people who do things on such a bigger scale. I feel like, you know, as a parent, I if I was a parent, I think one of my thoughts would be, you know, how do I compete? How do I or how does Jesus compete with Sasha Fierce?
0: Mm -hmm yeah you know um, yeah that's that's a that's a tough one because the the culture is very influential and it's intentionally that way uh we've had several you know media companies and people come out and say their job is to intentionally influence kids they 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 realize the value of discipleship, and they believe they they have a duty to disciple children into their worldview and their way of thinking and seeing the world and the church simply hasn't hasn't countered that in a very very strong way um we have oftentimes simply bought into the way the world has said we should raise our kids um and i'm gonna i'm gonna go off code since that's the name of the show and i'm gonna say something and i want to get john's um kind of thoughts on it i believe a lot of the things that we see going on now and we talk about this lack of discipleship of parents being able to disciple their kids and the church i believe at some point the church kind of abandoned its job of discipleship for politics yeah and i believe we're seeing the fruit of that just that's just my observations and my thoughts what are what do you think of that
2: yeah, I think that's that's right on par. Uh, the politics, identity politics. Mm-hmm. I am a black man in a black church in a black neighborhood. Therefore, this representative of me, Democrat, whatever, usually Democrat, or even Republican, this representative of me comes and shows that, hey, I'm here for you, and this is what's going on. Then you got George Floyd, and this explosion of uh, racism and fighting racism and social justice and all of that. Um, So you embrace one side. This is who I am. That's who has my side is my people. Right. And so those politics, those ideas, those ideologies, those principles are really easy to grab hold to, Christian or not. Um, And forget about the the value and importance of being a kingdom citizen, Mm -hmm. of being a son, a daughter of God. That priority kind of falls down because you got to go fight this injustice. We got to go help our people come up. And so that becomes, I understand the intentions behind it. I get it. I I, I do. But as Christians, like you said, that part of being a disciple, a follower of Christ and being a kingdom citizen just kind of pushed to the wayside. It's not a priority anymore. And so it's and, and also that's subtle sometimes. That's subtle. The politics, you'll slowly start getting into it. You start listening to this side and, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, we need to do that. And then you start thinking that you're doing something, quote unquote, positive for the community. And you're starting slowly, slowly to be less and less about scripture, less and less about God, less and less about what God has called us to do, which is make disciples. And then you prioritize what the culture and politics is said to do, because that's the most powerful thing to do right now to fix the issues. Right. It's, it's really um, man. I've seen many, 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 many um, people fall for that and move that way. Churches include, entire churches, just move that way um, and and not come back. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Man. Yeah, keep going, Kevin.
0: No, I've seen it. I've seen it personally. I've seen it with people in my life, you know, that have just gotten swept up in it. And that becomes the new worldview. That becomes the new lens. That becomes the thing that must be preached. That becomes the thing that must be discipled. Right? Um, And the Bible, um, a biblical worldview, that stuff is thrown aside if it doesn't, if they don't believe it helps them achieve the goal that the culture now has told them is the ultimate goal of achieving, right? And so, um, yeah, I I believe that that's what we're seeing the fruit of kind of some decades of that of churches just, they've left their job of truly discipling um, to now, it became so much about politics. It became so much about getting people out to vote. It became so much about getting money for schools. It just became social activism, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of discipleship. And now we have generations of now parents who don't even know how to disciple their own kids because they weren't disciple. even if many of them came up in the church. Right. And so it's just um, because as you said, youth ministry doesn't work. You got them three hours a a, a month, but we've kind of leaned on that to try to keep kids in the church. You try to disciple kids when the rest of the time they're out in the world, being deciphered by the world. That's it's, it's time. It's time. And so, you can't compete you no know, three hours a week, a month that's with awesome. the rest of the time. They're just completely ingrained in the culture, the secular culture in the school, the music, the movies, the TV shows, everything they're ingesting is just secular. And then we take them to church for an hour on Sunday and think that's going to have a, a, a impact or an influence. And I praise God that it, and sometimes it does. Right. But we are really fighting an uphill battle by continuing to go down that road of living completely within the culture and expecting our kids to not be of the culture Mm. so
1: that's good who is it Vodi um who says you know you can't send your kids to caesar and then get mad when they come back as romans yeah, something to that effect. <laughs> yeah, you know, and and that's what we do. We he's sending your kid to Caesar, and you know, and then you dismayed, and you know, in a a, a kerfuffle when mm-hmm. they come back as a Roman. Yeah. Um, but again, I I hear the concept of leadership, and you know, if 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 church has become a a place for you know a political. Um, like ideology or, or idolization of, you know, the politics and who are we friends with? And like, um, you know, I think we might've done something on like the black vote. I think we did do the black vote and we We looked at Maxine Waters who um, is rep from, you know, out here. And when she came into the church, she gave that church a $5,000 check. You know, are we, I think my question is, are we selling out, Discipleship selling out our youth to be in bed with the politician who's going to give us a check on the back end because we allow them to come in and speak to, you know, influence people to vote for them.
0: I'm not getting in trouble with that. I'm going to let John answer that. I have no
2: problem.
1: No (laughs) problem.
2: problem. Um, Hey, listen, politics is a game. These people playing games, these people come here $5,000 check to the church. That's for power. That's for votes. These people really, at the end of, if they cared about the community in a certain way, that actually invoked change. You're in a church where the gospel is supposedly being preached, where Christ is the number one priority, and you're there in that place, and five thousand dollars goes into it. And there's no emphasis on anything coming out of that that changes lives, not just make schools better or help some roads or all those things are good, but we're talking about actually impacting the culture with change or what's happening in that community with real, authentic change. That's not a priority for these politicians. They're only there to better and embolden their platform and their power. That's, that is most of the case, not all, but most of the times the case. And which is why the, the streets stay the same, communities stay the same, uh, the same statistics stay the same. The churches stay in the same place. Everybody stays in the same place. The person that's, that's saying, Hey, I'm, I'm here for you. It stays in their place and everything stays the same. No real authentic change, surfacey change possible, no authentic change. So you can see that happening. Um, in these churches and with these politicians, it's like, when are we gonna see that? <laughs> when are we gonna see that it's not about this game of voting Democrat, Republican, or Republican, or trying to figure out, you know, which one is gonna help us the most, rather than, hey, God placed us here as a community of Christians, and so if we're here and if it's a certain, if this community is in a certain uh status and way is moving and how it's going. We're here to impact this culture in this particular community with the gospel, with what Christ has given us that brings change to people's life. Even if it's five people or 5,000, it doesn't matter. When we wake up and see, that's number one. Not no Democrat or Republican saying they promise us this, you vote for them, and everything stay the same for the next 10 years. That's not, like, we got to stop doing that. Like, that's, that's not effective. I don't know what we're going to see that that's not effective. I don't know when we're going to see that politicians lie continually continually over and over and over from the president down. Lie, 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 lie. And we just keep, yeah, 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 cool, yeah, yeah. And we keep yep. thinking something will be different. And it's not, it's not happening. So I'm like, we have to wake up and see the glory in the gospel, then see the power in the gospel and push that. You know, we want to do some politicians, okay, cool, but that ain't the number one. It's about Christ. And, and you know, and that's we just got to make the priority the priority. I mean it's simple as that.
1: Oh yeah keep keep the main thing the main thing make the priority the priority and don't get sidetracked when somebody comes to you waving a check to be able to buy your vote or to be able to buy your parishioners but that's a whole different conversation hmm. i want to ask a question that might not make people you know too happy but that's okay hmm. when when and I'm, let me preface it by saying Um, when I go into a lot of like inner city neighborhoods and things like that, and having grown up in, in LA for like the first 15, 16 years of my life, didn't see a lot of discipleship now or youth groups or things like that. When I moved to an area that had a more white church, there was the opportunity for, um, youth groups. There was the opportunity for small groups and things like that. Do you think that, and man, I don't even really know how to say this. Is discipleship being boiled down to like a socioeconomic issue or a white and black issue where, you know, discipleship and youth groups happen in white churches primarily, but in more hood communities, lower socioeconomic income, black churches, we don't do that. And so now we um, we have if you were to put, you know, two groups of students together and you have your white students, they might have more of a biblical worldview than your black students. I'm trying to I'm trying to understand, like, I know discipleship is not just boiled down to a socioeconomic issue. Please tell me I'm wrong.
0: (laughs) Oh, um. I wouldn't say it's strictly a social economic issue. I believe it is an issue of culture, right? And that plays out sometimes along social economic lines. Um, but this is primarily an issue of culture. And how do you how is discipleship done within the inner city Black community and who's doing it? And I think that's really what it comes down to. Um people who are of of a higher social economic status, they have a completely different culture. They have different values. They have different, um, priorities. And one of those is, you know, um, discipleship of their kids. They care about their kids having the, the same worldview as them per se. Um, there seems to be a, a, a more of an awareness that the world is not your friend um, in, in, in those communities and and from a Christian standpoint, right. Just how the Christians view the world. Um, I think in the black community, in the black church, the, the struggle for rights, the struggle for liberation, the struggle for social economic status, that that struggle and that lens that, that, um, um, that deliverance from Egypt narrative that kind of gets played. I believe there's so much of a focus on that, that the idea that the world is not our friend. It it turns into, it turns into the white man is not our friend, right? Mm. Instead of we are Christians as the body of Christ and the world is not our friend. It becomes we, we meaning black, not we meaning Christian. And I think that's an issue of, Beyonce is embraced because she's black, regardless of where her Christianity is, right? All of these people are embraced because they're part of us, they're black, not because of what their Christianity is. And I think the other culture has more of a, we are the body of Christ against the world and I need to disciple my kids or my people around me against the principalities of the world and not necessarily a civil rights type of fight mindset that the black church seems to be continuously fighting no matter how much we win or how many rights we have that continues and always will be the focus that kids get that the church kind of focus on. That's what the kids come to know. Right. And that's when the George Floyd's happening. It's easy to go out on the street and march because that's all they've been really taught from the beginning is the struggle. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what you're seeing play out. It's just different lenses of what the church is and what the struggle is, and how that is communicated down to you know the youth.
1: Is March like a euphemism for riot? <laughs> I'm just asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mostly peaceful protests—that's what they call them. Yeah. Mostly peaceful.
1: Sometimes <laughs> not. Okay. Yeah. yeah.
2: You
1: know, John, what say you?
2: No, that was great. That—that um, that, I think that see, it's a prioritization thing. What is the number mm-hmm. one lens? What's the first set of things that you see? And if we're prioritizing what um, we're going through our particular situation as Black people in America, and that's the number one lens. Even like you said even if it gets better it doesn't matter it's the number one lens and so we attach that to being a christian i mean it's not gonna it's not gonna produce discipleship disciples was not gonna be at a you know at a Forefront it's kind of like yeah we'll get to that maybe we gotta attack this thing in front of us um i think he articulated it like right that was it
1: then let me follow up with this question how do we then do biblical discipleship in communities where discipleship isn't even on the table. Like, how do youth? Uh, parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, youth influencers, like people who might just be in the life of a child, how do we do biblical discipleship in like with, you know, youth who um, have so many other cultural influences that are definitely anti-God and pushing them into this postmodern, my truth, do you kind of mentality?
2: Yeah, I think that's going to start with um, prioritizing understanding that discipleship is something that we do in relationship. If you think about it, a lot of our young people, teenagers, young, young black people, they're no different from another young white or Hispanic in a different culture. They're looking for relationship, especially if father, dad's not there. Mom's going to work all the time. What do they do? They go cling to a friend and hang out with them. And try to get some type of relationship going some type of bond some type of uh, something they can build on right especially when you're young you're trying to understand who you are so you're looking to do that with somebody when when the when the parents aren't available i think if we have like you said if we have the grandma we have the auntie we have uh someone in the church that's willing to step up and say i'll be there to build relationship you know especially when you think about like gangs and stuff like that they're looking for relationship looking for something to say this is who I belong to this is what a part this is what makes me who I am this is what makes me a man right if we have people in the church right there where they're at say you know what we're gonna start a small you know group we'll get, order some pizza sit down go over a couple of scriptures talk about what's going on in your life and and doing so will show you what it looks like to walk this life in Christ and then what the counter of that is and what the results of the counter is. And we'll walk with you, and outside of that, we'll we'll call, we'll text, you know, we'll hang out, we'll do what we gotta do. It's if we if we focus on relationship, I think that allows for there to be space to reach people in a way that they wouldn't have thought they wouldn't have been able to be reached, you know, with the gospel, with the truth, through discipleship, and understanding that those holes are missing. I mean, those holes are there, right? There's, there's things missing in that in that part in that area of their life, relationship, and so we we plug that in with uh, people that are there and willing and ready to step up and do that. And, and, and I think that would be useful.
1: Kevin, yeah. you going to add anything? Because I got another question. <laughs> I'm sorry, they just coming, man.
0: <laughs> no, no, go ahead, go ahead, man, he, he hit it, he hit it. So go ahead, next question.
1: Okay, so part of this narrative, um, like I feel like from the cultural side is that white people don't have a lot to offer black youth. Um, mm-hmm. That, you know, if you're going to come in to a black space, then you need to come in as an ally. And so it's a lot of the cultural narrative that dictates how white people can participate with black people. What are y'all's thoughts on, if, if discipleship isn't happening in a black community, if you're a white community and you can come in and do some discipleship, like what are your thoughts on that? Or do you kind of feel like that discipleship needs to happen among the black people within the community?
0: Um, I, I'll, I'll start off since he took the last one. Um, man, this is, that's a good question because you want to say it doesn't matter. It's the gospel. Anybody coming in and preach the gospel. And that is 100% true, but I do not want to ignore the real and true cultural barriers that are there and the perceptions that are there. Um, I've seen it. I've seen, you know, predominantly white churches go into predominantly black communities and struggle to reach that community. Because it's like John was saying, number one, it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of time because it's relational. Right. And regardless of skin color, this is what I found is once once people in those communities believe that you really do true care about them, you really are there for them. You're not just trying to sell them something or get over on them or, um, then they're, they're open to receiving, uh, what you have to say. Um, and and it takes, it takes time to build that relationship, but discipleship happens in relationship. And if you don't have the relationship, it's hard to disciple. And so, um, I would say, no matter what your ethnicity is, you sh- if there's a place you feel needs to be discipled, you should go disciple it, but be prepared to be there for the long haul and build those relationships. You know, um, At the camp, Mo, you talked about we went to a camp and we, we faced a lot of challenges at that camp. And one of the challenges that we faced, and it's, it was no fault of ours as the situation, is we had no relationship with any of those kids that were there right so we were telling them the truth but they weren't willing to hear it from us because they had no relationship with us you know even though we tried to relate we tried to build those relationships in a very very short period of time it just wasn't it it just can't happen that quick and we and we knew that and and that's why we kind of gave the guidance hey this needs to be a long-term thing with these kids um and so, yeah, I, I think that's really what it comes down to is what, what John was saying about relationships. And it, it just takes time to to build that. So.
1: John, you got anything to add?
2: Yeah, just to add to that. I think mean, you know, um, he's right. You know, it, it shouldn't matter who walks in there and try to start to actually process to start the process of discipleship. If it's biblical, I think if there is value in understanding, we're all made in the image of God. I think if that's defined and we start there, I think, yeah, you know, there could be somebody from the white community to come in and understand and see, hey, look, we're here because God created us this way. We have different skin colors. We have different cultures. We have different ways of of addressing some things. But you know what? We're all made in God's image at at our core. And so because of that, we can understand each other as Christians. I can preach the gospel to you. You can walk with me in life. We can understand and see some things together. If we kind of, I think, if that's done off the set, then there could be a, a, a possible connection to allow for discipleship. But like, like he was saying, there are some barriers, some things that just don't, you know, that are not understood. And if it do, if it feels like it's not even a, 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 a desire to want to understand those things. Um, yeah, it's not going to,
0: it's going to be tough. Be yeah. Tough. Yeah. All right. Um, last question. So this is something that's been on my mind, been on my heart for several years. And because we're talking about discipleship and we're talking about how it takes relationship to build, no you know, disciples. What are your thoughts on Not just blacks, but people from outside the inner city black community moving into the black community to be that kind of to build those relationships, or do you believe those relationships can be built from from outside the community.
2: Um, I think if I understood your question, I believe that those relationships can be built um, from people that are coming into the community, I know that's happening a lot um. But I think at the end of the day, it has to be led by God. I had a conversation with a brother that was like, you know, back when the George Floyd thing had happened and it kicked off. I had a conversation with him and he was like, nah, man, you know, that white privilege and, you now they should be, you know, they should be uh, caring about what's going on in the hood and they should be doing this and doing that. And I was trying to tell him that that may be true, especially if they're believers, authentic believers, but they have to be led by God to come into the community. And, and do effective work, kingdom work, for the mm-hmm. glory of God. Because that's number one what this all is. It's kingdom yep. work. I think we forget that sometimes. I think we look at skin color, we look at ethnicity, we look at where you're from, look at, oh, we different. You listen to this kind of music. I listen to that kind of music. Oh, you from here, I'm from there. And all that's true, but none of that overrides what God says is happening in the kingdom. And so we're actually truly authentically believers and we're praying and we're seeking God and we're trying to do the will of God. God will draw whom he desires to draw to come into a community and do the work that God has called that person to do. It's that simple. And if Mm -hmm. if there's a desire for someone outside the community to come in and help because help is truly authentically needed, whether it's financial or discipleship or whatever it may be, then there should be prayers going to the Lord for that. Lord, send whoever it is, if it's a, a rich white guy, if it's an Asian, whoever it is, that can come and help our community see Christ better, right? Help our community see discipleship and the value of it better. If it's if it's another brother, whatever it is, Lord, we need it. And so God make it happen and He's faithful to do it. I think I think a lot of times we we don't we forget about prioritizing kingdom perspectives, and, and we look at outer skin color and all those things. And culture and we just we, we we make that a number one. And so we, we're not as effective because of that. And I think that is definitely possible either way if we just prioritize human work.
1: You about to make me shout. I feel my <laughs> shoulders, hey, I, I feel it, it's about to come on. My health coming on me. Yes. Um I appreciated yeah. your answers, both of y'all, because um one relationship is so important you can't have discipleship you know without relationship otherwise it's going to be like hey you need to do this anybody can tell you what to do but discipleship like we said earlier it's a journey it's a road um and it takes relationship to be able to do that and i love the fact that you know we hit on the biblical truth that you know black don't have to disciple black like more than being worried about the skin color of the person who's discipling you you should be worried about the fact that the person discipling you has a biblical worldview historically Mm -hmm. biblical worldview, not a progressively biblical worldview, you know, and understanding the difference between a progressive worldview and a historically biblical worldview. Um, And making sure that whoever is speaking into the life and heart of your child also Mm -hmm. has that worldview, because what you don't want to do is sit your kid under a progressive Christian, because that's a whole nother situation that we don't have time for today. (laughs) But, you know, and, you know, and, and. If you are, maybe you are um, someone who is white and says, you know, I I think I have, you know, something to to give or, you know, discipleship to share and things like that. Awesome. But also, let's make sure that we're not just running. You're not just running in with this, you know, Captain Fix-It-All mentality either. You know, discipleship is a journey and people are not in need of being fixed. People are in need of being discipled so that they can understand the principles of scripture and how to live a godly worldview. Because if you go in and fix all their problems, but they still don't have what they need to live with Jesus and how to live out a biblical worldview, they're still broken, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is Jesus. And how do we, um, encourage and instruct disciple people to live according to the precepts of scripture. That's what's important. And that can be done by anybody. You can be white, black, blue, polka dot. I don't matter. What is your heart and right relationship with Jesus? And so with that um I think it's time for us to wrap. We've gone a little over. You guys, thank you for being with us. John, thank you so much for coming and bringing um biblical truth. Can you just tell us how people can get connected with you? Tell us about God first, life second. Um just yeah, let us know how do we how do we stay in contact? How do we support you? Yeah, what's going on?
2: Yeah, so thank you, money. Um so godfirstlifesecond.com spelled all the way out is our website. If you go there, godfirstlifesecond.com, spelled all the way out, uh, is our website. And so we started that ministry, God First Life Second, my wife and I, uh, shortly after being married, we started that as a way uh, to be build a community of believers who want to prioritize living God's truth, um, actually um, promoting God in a way where his truth is out in the forefront, not just trying to be blessed. You know, you got a lot of cute stuff out there, trying to be I'm blessed. You know, all the cute stuff that, you know, most Christians would like because it's surfacey. Well, a lot of things that we put out is about the depth of, of the depth of actually worshiping God with your life day in, day out. That's why it's called God first, life second. Of course, our core is Matthew 6, 33, see first the kingdom of God and all all His righteousness and all these things we add unto you. Basically, all you need in life will come if you seek God's first and his righteousness. And so um, we are living proof of that. And um, uh, the Mason family, um, a lot of things that we've done uh, leading up to this point where I'm at now is literally built on that uh, here, here where I'm living now. And so we had to trust God through the situation that we had to get through. You'll see all that on our website. And so we just want to really encourage other Christians to do the same, Uh, specifically millennials, those who are or it came up in the faith and trying to understand how to wrestle and live in a culture that's anti-God, anti-Christ, but then also represent Christ well, that is what God First Life Second is for, is living the truth of God, living and contending the truth of God for the glory of God. So we have some apologetic aspects to the ministry as well. Um, and it's just a community of people who is. have got shirts like what I got on right now, Light of Life. It's in John 8, 12. That um, just basically is just kind of promoting who God is in your life, and reminds you when you wake up and put these things on, and you use them. It reminds you that hey, it's about God, it ain't about me. It's about glorifying Him, it ain't about me. And that's what God First Life Second is about. So definitely encourage you guys. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on here. Encourage you guys to join us in that community. All our socials are on that site, GodFirstLifeSecond.com spelled all the way out. Uh, everything, all our social medias, and of course you can follow me on Twitter. I, I promote it from there as well and living God's truth.
1: Awesome. Amen. Thank you very much, Kevin. You got anything else you want to add before we sign off?
0: Nope. Nope. This is another man. Great episode, John, man. I appreciate it. And um, keep doing your thing, man. you're a true blessing, you know, to the church and to the community. Yes. Thank you,
1: Bob. Yes. Well, gentlemen, that's it. Thank you guys so much. If you are not connected with the Center for Biblical Unity, right after you visit GodFirstLifeSecond.com, shoot on over to CenterForBiblicalUnity.com and sign up, get on our mailing list, like this, um, this video so you can subscribe. If you're watching on YouTube, you can give it a thumbs up and share it on Facebook. I always say share it with somebody who don't like you. You know, kind of just get under their skin a little bit, but that's petty mo. Yeah. You know, you don't have to do everything petty mo say, but um, we are grateful for you. We're grateful for your support. If you are not a partner, feel free to sign up to become a monthly partner by going to centerforbiblicalunity.com dot and supporting our ministry. We thank you so much, and we'll see you in two weeks. Bye.